chapter 7. Let's hop over to Luke chapter 7. The title of my lesson this morning is Suffocating Debt. Suffocating Debt. There's a picture there. I don't know if you can see it on Zoom. Uh, but uh, somebody definitely is uh, not in a great position in terms of oxygen. Uh, but we're going to talk today about a, uh, this morning about a, a story. I, I thought we talked about it Wednesday. We actually did, for those of you that are uh, in the Charlottesville crew, we did a divine reading of this passage, which was uh, a lot of fun, yeah. uh, which is where we, uh, we spent some time just really trying to imagine the scene, use our, uh, our senses to really try to put ourselves there and try to feel, experience what it would have been like to be there that night. Um, and so uh, I, I talked about it before. I've, I've been guilty of gushing over this passage um, myself. I, yes, I do. I, uh, I've gushed for sure. I was joking with Stephen last night that, you know, in, in the Bible studies, I'm passionate. You know, we do a Bible study series with, with seekers, people who are seeking the truth. And we go through a Bible study that's called Sin. And we kind of go through different, there's, of course, no, no small number of passages about sin. But I have always been a, uh, an advocate of you do not have the sin study without looking at Luke 7, 36 through 50. Um, I just, I love it. I feel like if I were to distill the gospel into two passages, it would be 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, or this passage here. So anyway, we're going to dive right in and look at this story together here in Luke chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 36 through 50. I'm going to come out and open my Bible. It's not going to change that. Okay, good. Luke 7, 36. Set the scene. You ever been invited to dinner? Yeah. No, no. No? Oh, that's so sad. Um, Jesus is invited. Jesus is invited to dinner. And uh, it's a big deal. It's a little bit of a banquet, a little bit of a party. And any time that you're invited to dinner, even, even in our country, which, uh, you know, is pretty, pretty loosey-goosey anymore, but we still have some expectations, right. right, of some nice things that might be done when you are invited to dinner. And if these things did not happen, you might be offended. Uh, some basic things, right? Can I take your coat? Uh, right? Come, uh, please come, come in. Before the pandemic, maybe it would have been a handshake, right? <laughs> Uh, a handshake or some kind of greeting. Maybe if you're close, a hug. Maybe if you're really close, maybe like a kiss on the cheek or something. I don't know. Maybe some families, some people. Can I get you something to drink? Right? Uh, please have a seat. How was your day? Now, if none of those things happened, if you went over to somebody's house and they, maybe you even extended your hand and they didn't shake it and they didn't say, come on in. They didn't ask if you wanted something to drink. They didn't treat you with any of the normal expectations of manners or etiquette, you might feel a number of things. This is the situation that Jesus walks into here in Luke 7, 36, where we'll begin reading. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So a couple things. Lived a sinful life in that town is a euphemism. It's a nice way of saying she was a prostitute. Uh, also, alabaster jar of perfume, very expensive. Very expensive, probably worth about a year's wages. So 50, 60, 70, 80, 90K, right? This is a lot of money, a very valuable alabaster jar. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. You know what's funny? He didn't say that, did he? He thought it. Then Jesus answered him. That's scary, right? (laughs) Jesus is like, well, let me answer your thought with something out loud here. Simon, I have something to tell you. All right, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Here's where it gets... Gets a little uh, yeah, spicy, as Selena would say. I see, I see Selena would say, gets a little spicy here. Jesus turns toward the woman. Now remember, the entire time she's behind him at his feet weeping. Now how can somebody uh, be behind him? If you're sitting on, in a chair, how would you be behind somebody cleaning their feet? It doesn't work. Well, it works if you don't, if you don't sit in chairs, right? So they had, a, they had a, I know, right? They had a, what's called a triclinium. What? And so, I know, I know, I know. You know what's really funny? If you watch The Passion of the Christ and Jim Caviezel, who plays Jesus, is a carpenter. And one of the scenes, he's making a chair. You know, it's kind of a funny scene because they didn't have chairs back then. So he's like, well, one day these will be really useful. But uh, at the time, they didn't do chairs. They reclined. They reclined in a U-shape just like this with their feet. The feet were by far... The most disgusting part of the body. You walk around in the Middle East. Yeah. You ever send your kids to camp and they come back and all the, the shoes are destroyed, right? It's just dirt and the shoes are done. You're walking around in the Middle East with sandals or no shoes at all. The feet are by far the most unclean part of the body. Let's get those out that way. And uh, we will eat over here. And you recline. And you can see how everyone's kind of facing. Because you sit kind of with your elbow feet out, and then you eat with one hand, and you all kind of face the person who is uh, of honor, and you're able to have discussion. So this woman is sitting behind Jesus at his feet, off to the side here, weeping, and Jesus turns to her. So he, he, if you can imagine, he's eating, they're, they're all kind of ignoring her, right? And then Jesus turns and says, do you see this woman, right? In verse 44, he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but the time this woman entered, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, as you can tell in the Middle East, they did not necessarily have the same etiquette that we have today, but it was very common, right, to have a a kiss hello. It was was basically like a handshake. It was a, a greeting. Simon does not, right, do this for Jesus. 
Uh, it was common because it would be so dirty to have palm oil or olive oil ready to kind of clean the hands. We can appreciate that, right, in our situation today. A little bit of hand sanitizer in the Middle East ready, okay, to give uh, at the time. Uh, and Jesus is like, listen, you didn't do these things for me, man. So what's going on here in this scene? So much to unpack. Luke tells it brilliantly. Tells the story masterfully. Because we have to do a little bit of detective work to figure out who is this woman? Who is this Simon guy? It's not like he's a main character in the book of Luke. Neither is this woman. We don't even have the woman's name. We get to call her sinful woman. Uh, which I think is, you know, maybe Luke is saying something there. But anyway, what is going on with Jesus in telling this story? Uh, another ancient, uh, one of the Middle Eastern tactic of telling a story is to put the most important thing in the very center of the story. Like a menorah. Menorah, you know, you kind of have the candle connect on the outside. Everything in the story kind of builds toward the center. Movies we watch today, the climax is at the end. But here, Jesus puts the most important thing right smack dab in the middle of the story. What is perfectly in the middle of this story? It's another story <laughs> that Jesus tells at dinner about two people who owed money. Why in the world do this? Why in the world tell a story about two people who owed money to a certain money lender? Kind of an obvious story, right? You know, it's maybe Andrew and Stephen both owe money. Stephen owed a million. Andrew owed 10 bucks to Finn. Finn decided to forgive them both. Who's more grateful? Well, surely Stephen is because he's had the million forgiven. It's obvious, right? Very plausible scenario, Finn, right? For New York situation, I think, to loan Stephen a mill there. They're very grateful. I'm sure he is of that, but it's obvious. But what's Jesus' point? I used to read this. I used to struggle as a kid because I would go to church. My family, devout, incredible, faithful disciples. I would go to church and uh, I would hear people come on up for their testimony. And they would tell these wonderful, dramatic stories about oodles of sin that they got themselves into, graphic stuff. And they would cry, and the church would cry, and everyone would say, great story. And I would say, man, I don't have stuff like that to say. Like, sometimes I disobey my parents. Uh, that's about it. And I remember reading this passage and going, I guess I'm just always sort of doomed to love little. Because I, Drew Mines, have sinned a little. And it's amazing that I, I would think that. And I remember actually talking with some other brothers in the Philadelphia church who were on a youth corps who felt the same way. They were like, wow, as these people who grow up in church, we're, we're, we're like the lesser. We don't have the really graphic stuff to share. Like, what, what is our conversion story? It's not impressive or fun or encouraging or inspiring. It's, I was born. I went to Sunday school. I disobeyed my parents sometimes. And I went in the water. Right? This was my insecurity. You know what, you know what you think as a 14-year-old boy is I better go get me some sin. <laughs> then, I can have the cool, then I can have the cool story. Say, oh, of course, as a 14-year-old, you know, I was, you know. I just disobeyed maybe a tad more. It wasn't anything too radical for me. Although, I think what Jesus was saying to Simon here is brilliant because that's not what Jesus means. 
Praise God, that is not indeed what he is getting at. But there is a terrible misunderstanding between two people here of what Jesus' ministry is actually supposed to do. A Pharisee is not a bad person. So a lot of people believe that Pharisees, these bad people, and they're hypocrites, and they're religious, and they're the worst, right? But in this time, a Pharisee was a very, very good person. Actually, all of our resources outside of the Bible, everything said about Pharisees is is quite good. They were good people. They gave a lot of money to the poor. They spent a lot of time in the Bible. They were revered as the most important, most influential, and blessed by God kind of people out there. You know who was not seen, right, as very loved by God were the unclean, the sinners, the prostitutes. And here this woman, I have no idea what happened that night. I would love, I would love to get like the, uh, the behind the scenes footage when we, you know, get to heaven one day or, or talk, with, talk with Jesus about this one. But what we know is that Jesus says from the time she entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Well, how long has that been? How long has she been back there and everyone just ignoring her? Can you imagine going on with a dinner? Someone you didn't invite is there and they're touching someone's feet and crying and cleaning the feet. I mean, it's obviously she's she's a mess. It's not like you can just ignore. I mean, but they were just carrying on. And we get to see into Simon's heart. And Simon, oh, Simon. We get to see his heart here. I can almost imagine him just looking at the woman as they're eating, just with disgust. And man, is he challenging. He goes, man, if this guy were an actual prophet, everyone says he's a prophet. If he were an actual prophet, he would know what kind of scum garbage is touching him. That she is disgusting. Who knows what she's done in the last 24 hours? Who knows? And who she's done it with? Probably Gentiles. Are you really a, a prophet? I could throw up right now. This is abhorrent. His heart, he is disgusted by this woman. And the way that you viewed people back then, this idea of being unclean, it wasn't just like, don't touch me. It was like she had a contagious virus. Yeah. You're like, exactly. It rings a little bit more true, doesn't it? Yeah. He's like, don't get her near me. I don't want her to be near me. I don't want to catch her uncleanness. I don't want to catch her sin. That's why, they would, that's why people that were unclean or sinners, were, they wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't talk with them. They wouldn't come near them. They were concerned that their sin might get on, you know, touch them, infiltrate them. And so Simon has a really big problem here. And he, he, he looks at this woman and he's like, if, if you, A, if you were really of God, what does that say? What does that say about Simon's perception of God's role here on earth? He says, if you were really from God, you wouldn't be doing this. That's not what God does. That's not what God cares about. God doesn't care about the sinners. That's not what God does. Simon's perspective of God is completely off. He is completely off. And here the woman is here. And Jesus, in a beautiful moment. You ever wish you could just be like Jesus in these times? Like someone comes to you and has this, you know, has this struggle. And they're obviously in a sin. But you can't tell them they're in a sin because they won't respond well. Uh, because people don't like being told they're in sins. So you have to tell them a story. 
to be like, well, there was a farmer. <laughs> and the farmer had a wheat field. And the person's like, well, go on, you know? And, you know, it's like, it's like maybe I can, and it's funny how, like, throughout the whole Bible, this is what's so, you know, Nathan does the same thing with David. He's like, let me, uh, let me tell you a story, man. Um, but it's because we can't hear, we, we're so defensive, we, we don't want to hear anything about our sin. If I had a line graph of, like, people who start to study the Bible, you know where they leave? The, the, it's, a, it's a sin study, right? Three words, sin study. That's where they, that's where they leave. I, sin for me. You want to talk about my sin? No thanks. It's a hard thing. So Jesus tells a story. He tells a story, quite a brief story. But what is he getting at? Has Simon really sinned less than the woman? It's a powerful thing, you know? I mean, it, we, what Jesus is getting at, I think for many years was misunderstood, partly because of a vague translation in the 1984 NIV translation, among other translations. I used to read it in verse 47, and a 1984 NIV says, uh, she has been forgiven for she loved much. What does that sound like to you? She has been forgiven because of all this stuff she just did. And so, I used to read this passage that way. If you want to be forgiven, what are you willing to do? I'm willing to do anything to be forgiven. No, no. Not, that's not exactly what's happening here. What's happening is it's actually called, I only say it because it sounds fun, uh, fun to say, it's an evidential hati. Hati is the Greek word. It's, it's evidential, it's not on the grounds of. Yeah. And so, the new NIV and a lot of other versions have, have changed it. Did you notice what it says? Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Her great love is evidence for something that has already occurred. Think about that. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, it's like this. Uh, okay, let's, let's go back to our story here with, with, the, with these fine gentlemen up front, right? If, if the three of them decide to go to a movie, because um, you can now, I think. Maybe they rent out the theater at the Alamo. They rent out the whole theater, and they want to go to a movie. And they have to chip in, Stephen, Finn, and, and Andrew. But Andrew forgets his, his wallet because he's a grad student. He's got a lot going on. He's very busy. And so he forgets his wallet. He says, I don't have the money. And so, of course, Finn, Finn uh, uh, a man of men, among men, really, a uh, very gracious man. He says, you know what? I will pay you. I will give you 20 bucks. Come on in. Watch the movie with us. Tenet, great movie. Christopher Nolan, let's watch it. Uh, uh, and you know what? Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. So, so Andrew's grateful because as a grad student, that movie, I mean, that, that's no small thing, going to see a movie with some friends. It's encouraging. It's also his birthday recently. He's like, okay, I appreciate that. And now let's say, God forbid, Stephen and Liza come on hard times, right? No. Merkel's, Merkel's making cuts. Never. Never. Oh, my God. Right? And uh, it's not even that, but if, let's say that beyond not even having a job, if there was, once again, God forbid, some kind of sickness. You know, Brandon shared earlier about a transplant. If, if Stephen needed a transplant and lost his job, and of course, they're in a, it's a different situation. And so Finn decides, you know what? Stephen's my friend. Liza's my friend. I happen to have the money. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you enough money for rent. At a, I'm going to put you up in a hotel or Airbnb just for some time. 
so you can find a new job. You'll land on your feet because you guys are incredible people. And you know what? I also want to pay the $75,000 for the, for the transplant, for the liver transplant. You know why it's liver. All right, be careful now. Uh, <laughs> liver transplant that Stephen needs, okay? Uh, <laughs> I didn't plan to say that, sorry. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, who knew? Um, so let's say years and years and years go by, and the Wessels are so thankful. Years and years and years go by, and Finn's coming back from a, from a conference, from a conference in Asia. He's coming back through, and he, he needs a ride in the middle of the night. So he decides, first, you know, I'm going to call Andrew. So he calls Andrew in the middle of the night and says, hey, I, I'm stuck uh, up in uh, BWI, up in Baltimore. I need a ride. I know it's 3 a.m. I'm so sorry. Andrew sees Finn's name on the phone, and he goes, ugh. Okay, I guess I'll answer. Right, I guess it's middle of the night. I'm a, I'm a pretty big scientist now. I got, I got stuff going on. So he, you know, he opens, he listens. Finn goes, I need a ride. I know, I know it's middle of the night. And maybe even, maybe Finn doesn't mention it, but Andrew goes, okay, he paid for a movie for me one time. <laughs> one time. This is not even the same thing. Like, oh, okay, I guess. Have you called somebody else or... Is it, you know, he's trying to get out of it. All right, I'll, 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 I'll give you a ride. You know, so maybe Andrew does it, but he's not over the moon about it. But let's say that Finn calls somebody else. He calls Stephen instead. Stephen sees Finn's name light up on his phone in the middle of the night, and he, his head pops up. And he wakes up, Liza. He goes, Liza, wake up. And he goes, look who it is. Look who it is. And Liza's like, oh, pick up, pick up, pick up. So he's like, oh, okay, okay. So he picks up. And he goes, what do you need? What do you want? What can we do? And then he goes, and before Finn can even finish the sentence, Stephen and Liza are like, we're there. We're already putting our coats on. We've been waiting for a way to say thank you. We've been waiting for a way to just show how grateful we are. We're going to get snacks for the road. We're going to have, it's going to be awesome. Eliza's going to come up with some kind of like a trivia or board game that we can play on the road. It's going to be wonderful. It is, we are so thankful for what you did for us. We are on it. We will pick you up. We will give you a ride. No problem. Mm -hmm. The difference between the two is gratitude for what has already occurred. I want to ask you a question this morning, church. How's your love? How's your love been recently? Is your love evidence for something? If we are not showing love to God and to others, it is evidence that we are not grateful. And it's not, be careful, it's not I need to be more grateful so that I can be loved. No, it's be grateful because you've already been loved. Be grateful for what God has done for you. And that's why we have to get in touch with our sin. We don't do a sin study to let people know what their sins are so they can stop them and then become a Christian because now they've fixed the problem. You can't fix the problem. It's good to, you need to be aware of your sins so that you can change, but that's not what gets us into God's graces. We need to be aware of our sin. It's awareness. It's not that Simon sinned less. It's that he thought he sinned less. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, we did this, this uh, divine reading last Wednesday. And one of the sisters in our group, you know, you have to imagine yourself in different, as different people in the scene. And one of the sisters in our group said, in all four readings, I never imagined myself as Simon. And I didn't do that on purpose. I just, it just didn't happen. And I thought, 
It's amazing how when we read this passage, none of us thinks that we're Simon. Never. And it's and it's it's and, and maybe maybe you are. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm Simon. But for me, it's hard. For me, I, I I fight against it. I'm like, no, I'm more like the woman. Surely, I'm more like the woman, right? Which is funny because as a kid, I was like, I guess I love little. But I, I I push against it and I fight against it. And Jesus, it's funny. Simon was entitled in his perspective to call someone else a sinner. Jesus was the only other person in that room who was entitled to call Simon a sinner. And Jesus is able to say, dude, come on. You are missing what we are trying to do here. What does the woman do? A year's wage is $50,000. What does she do? She lets her hair down. Highly, highly erotic, highly inappropriate. It's enough at this time to pull off that, that, that head covering that women would wear, even to this day in Saudi Arabia and other traditional Middle Eastern cultures, to pull down that uh, means that you could be killed, stoned for being, a, uh, basically, yeah, for, for being too uh, erotic, exposing basically yourself too much. In a room full of Pharisees, right? Like, she lets her hair down. And she's cleaning the most disgusting part of Jesus' body. And she's doing it with her own tears. And you got to imagine, I love this. Maybe she follows Jesus in. And why does she do this? Like, why does she do the oil? And why does she do the, the clean the feet? Well, I think because she sees that they are disrespecting him. Maybe he brings a plus one. We don't know if she came with him. Maybe he's like, hey, I brought, I brought my friend. I don't know. Maybe they came at the same time. But she sees, she goes, they didn't clean his feet. They didn't clean his feet. I... I have this, this, yeah, I have this jar of perfume. I can use that. They didn't kiss him. They didn't kiss. They wouldn't kiss Jesus. Are they crazy? I'll kiss him. They're not respecting him. I will respect him. They're not honoring him. I will honor him. And I don't care what happens to me. I don't care if they kill me. I don't care if I lose money. I don't care if I'm kicked out of here. I just want Jesus to know that he is worthy of respect, of honor, and he's to be cherished. And if he knows that from anybody, he's going to know it from me. You know, Jesus and this woman didn't just meet. They had an encounter before this. We don't know what happened. I imagine that it was pretty powerful, whatever happened. But I want to encourage us this morning to take a look at our love. You know, this love is hard to come by right now. There's a lot of fatigue a lot of compassion fatigue. A lot of people are worn out. A lot of people are quick to speak. A lot of people are hurting and just discouraged. And it's been a hard year, as Brandon mentioned. You know, but we do have something to be grateful for. I should say, actually, we have someone to be grateful for. And it does take work. I think the longer that you are... Around Jesus, the easier it is to be ungrateful for him. It just becomes stale. It, you have to go back to how much you owe him. Some of us have debt. We have crazy amounts of debt. 100K, 200K. You, know, you ever talk to somebody who just, had, just paid off their debt or had the debt forgiven? They're a different person. That weight is gone, right? And you ever go to those sporting events and they launch the t-shirts? Right? And if you're like me, you get in the cheap seats. Because you know why. And so we're, we're, you're sitting in the cheap seats. And, and sometimes you can tell when they pull that shirt back from that slingshot. 
You can tell when you're up there, it's not enough. <laughs> they gotta re- I'm up here, man. They got to really get under that thing. If they're going to get the altitude to get that shirt to me, uh, that's not enough. <laughs> and when you think about gratitude, it's kind of like a slingshot. Simon is not grateful. So his, his life of, of obedience and love toward Christ is just, it's, he's like doing the bare minimum. But the more grateful you are, the more you see your sin, oh, my immorality, my pride, my rebellion, my selfishness, my self-reliance, my, my, my narrow-mindedness, my judgmentalism, my, how I've treated people. Are you, God, what is, God has forgiven me of so much, you know, and then it's boom. Will you come to church? Will you log in? Will you call people? Will you be in Bible studies? Will you share your faith? Yes, 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 yes. Are you kidding? That's the least I could do. It's the least I could do to serve my God. But when you're fighting to be obedient, when you're fighting to just do the bare minimum for Jesus, there's only one reason why we've lost touch with our gratitude. We're not grateful. We're not grateful. And so I wonder, imagine right now, how is God looking down at us and going, it's not going to reach me. Like, is this, this not enough? And not that God needs our gratitude to forgive us. It's already happened. It's done. You can't do anything about it. He's done it. Jesus has died for you. It's enough. It's complete. The issue is, is are, are we grateful enough that it really matters? You know, we've been there. It's, it's, when someone's really grateful, it means so much. And, and, and that's all God wants from us is just to know, do you care? The beautiful thing about Finn even and, and, and what he did and, you know, how saving Stephen, right? Stephen's liver and giving him the money and all these things is they're going to be friends for a long time after that. They're probably going to name their first kid Finn yeah. just because they're so grateful. Yeah. And they're going to tell their first kid Finn the story of why their name is Finn exactly. every night before bed. Why is it because Finn is banging on the door? Hey, tell them you love me. Tell them. Hey, over, tell them you like me. No, he doesn't have to because his act of kindness and love has launched Stephen and Eliza into a life of gratitude. They don't, they don't have to be forced to share about Finn. They don't have to be forced to evangelize. They don't have to be forced to set up a cool event that might encourage him. It's easy because they're grateful. Church, I want to close out with this idea. We want to move from crushing in suffocation, suffocating indebtedness, indebtedness to soaring in gracious gratitude. When we are grateful, we can be like the woman that's what it is to be Christian. It's not that we've sinned less than them out there. It's not that we deserve it more than them out there. It's not that we're better in some way. It's simply that we realize that we need him. We need him. And they can disrespect him all they want, but we will respect him. They can dishonor him all they want, but we will honor him. Even if it makes us look foolish, like idiots, even if we're ignored, Jesus will make sure that we are not ignored. He will say, look, do you see this church? Look, look at Blue Ridge. They have not stopped kissing my feet, right? It's like, yes, right? Like that's, we, the sinful woman, we don't even know her name. We don't even know who this is. I mean, there's ideas about who it might be, but she is in the annals of history because yeah. yeah. of what she did at a dinner party. And Jesus was able to Use it an opportunity to say, this is what it is to be a Christian. How's our love? 
How's our gratitude? And I encourage you, if you don't know how to get in touch with your gratitude, set up a time today with another disciple and make sin lists together. You say, that doesn't sound very fun. I know. But here's the thing, is the woman could never be grateful if she wasn't deeply in touch with the horrible things she'd done. She knew what she'd done. She knew how big of a deal it was to be touched by Jesus. She knew that nobody else was going to love her, but this guy did. She knew it. It's a massive deal. And we, we need to know that all of our sin is a massive deal. We all have a huge amount of sin that has been forgiven by God. We've got to be aware of it. We've got to be in touch with it. And sadly, the church for too long, I think, has used it as guilt to try to get us out of guilt to do what needs to be done to manipulate behavior. When you're, gra- when you're grateful, no one can manipulate you. <laughs> Like, I bet you won't share your faith. Yeah, I will, not because of you, but because of him. Here we go. You know, like, I'm off, baby. And it's, we're, you're so keenly aware, and we're going to be like this kid, you know, just we'll say hi to each other in the air. We're looking, hey, <laughs> soaring in gratitude. <laughs> and so, church, let's take a look at our love. Let's not try to earn forgiveness out of just being super religious or grateful, but let's get in touch with what Jesus has already done, that he touched each one of us despite our sin. And then we can have a love that is a result instead of a love that is a cause. And Jesus is the only one who can say, I know how much sin you are all in. I still want you. And I'm still going to die for you. I'm never going to give up on you. Jesus dies a crucified death, not solely for the sinful woman. He dies for Simon as well. And praise God for that. As many of us need his deep, deep, deep forgiveness. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.